Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and time is a flat circle, so it's always five o'clock somewhere. And I'm Jules. That is all. Wow. Really going for that minimalist aesthetic this episode, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I really couldn't think of a better one than you did, because so I was like, that is such a good sort of little thing that people say about what's well, five o'clock somewhere and time is a flat circle and time is time is irrelevant <laughs> time maybe is, that okay time is timeless and i'm jules and time is irrelevant i like that god we're really esoteric this episode we're getting after it already we are okay <laughs> so since we are in the process of getting after it to kick us off let's start off with our reoccurring segment cheers and jeers what are you cheersing and jeersing to this week jules this week, I'm cheersing to mountain living. Uh, so we recently bought a cabin in a really cool mountain town about two hours from San Diego. And we've been going up there every weekend because we're doing some renovations on the place and trying to do a lot of things ourselves. Um, but we try to get out into town and meet people. And every time we're out and about, we meet people who are just super happy and they're lovely and they're nice. And it just has really sort of reaffirmed our decision to buy a little place up there. Because it's love that. very cool. I can't wait to visit. I can't wait for you to visit. I can't uh, wait for everybody to visit. And and shocking that you've already keyed in on the fabulous local wine bar. The Wine Finch. We love them. Shout out to the Wine Finch. We do love them. So where are you cheersing this week? I'm cheersing to-do lists. Well. On one hand, I really like the process of crossing things off of a list. So gratifying. But right now in life. My, I have way too many different to-do lists going on, and it's just a little bit anxiety-inducing. Do you so, have a spreadsheet? I have a lot of spreadsheets. Oh, okay. I'm keeping track of a lot of things, but I do like to actually handwrite my to-do list, and then physically I enjoy the process of, like, you know, putting a line through that item or putting a little check next to it. Is the checker line a different color? Than, no. Oh, it's all, okay. It's whatever pen happens to be sitting there. Okay. I don't care. All right. I know you're very color-coded. I so do. I have my, I have I my am color-coded just, pen. I'm more about me. convenience and um, just if there's a pen sitting there, I don't care if it's the pen that I used or not. Got it. That gives me a little bit of anxiety, but okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry about that. Drea, what are you cheersing and jeersing to this week? So, um, continuing with my weather non-appreciation saga, usually, I actually am very pleased right now. My cheers is to mild summers. We have had a lovely mild summer here in San Diego. I know that there's a heat wave literally everywhere right now. Everywhere's burning. Every, everywhere is on fire. Everywhere is 100 degrees. Yes. Everyone has a... National Weather Service heat advisory, and they keep talking about it on the news, and I'm like, where? Where is this heat advisory? Um, but this is why I pay the money that I do to live in San Diego. So fuck that 100-plus degree nonsense. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm going to enjoy this for as long as it lasts. Yeah, I saw something recently. It was a meme or something, but it said something like, why, you know, why would you pay so much more money to live in California yeah, this when is you why. could live in, you know, you could live in Florida, you could live there, and everybody's no. like, I'd rather die paying taxes in California than live in Florida. This reminds me <laughs> of that that one line of the great Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development, better dead in California than alive in Arizona. That was the oh, mantra yeah. for I, a really Maybe long that's time. what it was from. Maybe it was like <laughs> ripping on that. But, what uh, are you jeersing to? 
So this goes along with any summer anywhere. It doesn't matter. Fucking mosquitoes, man. They're bad this year. They're awful. And I'm pretty sure that they think that my body is their own personal dive bar. <laughs> now, <laughs> I take some responsibility for my for this myself because I drink a lot. Yeah. But like, god damn it. They, they are just are all annoying. up in me. And they love the ankles. That's what they go for. Yes. They love it. Did you get those stickers that I recommended? No, but we should tell everyone that Jules did send me these. They're stickers that are meant to be put on small children. And they're supposed to repel mosquitoes. And I'm like, I'm going to stick these all over myself. But I did get stem bug spray, which is like an eco-friendly bug spray. And I got some really nice eco-friendly anti-bug candles. And that has been seeming to keep them at bay. I'm telling you, you need to get one of those little devices that I got. Yeah, these like little plug-in or it's like uh, a plug-in. So I got it um, a few weeks ago. It was in a Sunset Magazine article on camping, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and buy this. It's so you can. It's a USB rechargeable little device. It's like this little. Um, it just looks like a cup almost with a lid, and you put a little cartridge inside, and it heats up, and then it emits this sort of steam. That oh. has bug repelling aromatherapy uh, bug oil repellent. in it, um, but it doesn't have any scent at all. So it doesn't oh, have that nice. citronella, like that yeah. cloying kind of like the incense. Because I have some of those incense coils, and man, if the wind gets it just right and it blows in your face, it's just it like sticks to your throat and your nose. So yeah, the thermocell. It's called the thermocell. And then uh, and it's a twenty foot radius. Oh great! So I'm just about. gonna so for I'm, your little back patio, it'd be perfect. Or your, or your oh, I was gonna say I'm gonna neck. put it on chain, stick it around my neck. You could be like with those like '90s rappers, Flavor that have Flav. like the yep. huge the clock. One hundred percent. You'll just have a thermocell mosquito repellent around your neck. Well, and then my dad's like abuelita remedy is <laughs> bounce dryer sheets. So oh, someone recently just told me they that. are now literally all over my house and patio. Someone just—I just heard that from somebody about the bounce sheets. Was it Andy? Because I feel like you talked it about it a Andy. lot. Because I haven't seen Andy and Rose in a while. Mm, okay. Miss them. Um, I don't know who it was, but I also thought the smell of a bounce sheet really annoys me now that I don't use a ton of um, like scented products. Mm-hmm. It, I find it to be super strong. It's almost like sugar in in food and drinks and stuff. Because I don't do a lot of sugar anymore. I I can really you know, taste sugar when I have it. Uh, so yeah, so bounce sheets. So you go. This episode has turned into a how to repel mosquitoes. You know, we're nothing if not helpful. We are very helpful. We are full of something. Good information. Helpful tips. Helpful tips <laughs> from Drea and Jules. There you have it. And now... We have Schweinigans. Schweinigans. One of my favorite parts of this podcast. I love the Schweinigans. And today, since we're focusing on cocktails, we're going to highlight our favorite cocktail pairings for a couple of key summer situations. So, Drea. Yes. Tell me what you are sipping on when you are sitting poolside. So, I am a sucker for anything fizzy when poolside. My go-to is either a sparkling rosé, which we have featured many a time on this podcast. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
sparkling anything. <laughs> or a classic gin and tonic. It really depends on the mood. It depends on the vibe. But those are my two go-tos. How about It you? depends on where you are, too, I think. So yeah. if you look at the menu and you're like, mm, the spark, there's, give me a shitty sparkling rosé. Like, what would, mm, I'm trying to think of something. I'd be like, oh, I would never order that. Like a, um, um. Corbell. Oh, like, yeah. God, yeah. Austin. So then you're like, I, I'll like take that. the gin yeah. and tonic. And I'm yeah. like, oh, gin and tonic sounds great. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Exactly. I spritz me. Spritz all the way. Give me a spritz. Doesn't matter how shitty that sparkling is at that point. Because it's yeah. mixed with something else. Yeah. So, you know. So are you an Aperol, Campari? What's your spritz? I jam? do love an Aperol spritz. I, I feel like people kind of you know, thumb their noses at it now because it's, I don't know why, but I, I love an Aperol spritz. Uh, but I had a spritz a few weeks ago that was Campari and Aperol together. Oh, I've never tried that. Mm-hmm. And to... it cuts, the Aperol's a little sweeter than the Campari, so I feel like it cut it a little bit. And the other thing that my cousin actually, um, shout out to my cousin Katrina in Scotland. Hey, Katrina. She made me a Negroni when we were in Scotland that had a little bit of Aperol in it. Oh, interesting. And it was delicious. I bet. Yeah. That yep. like extra sweetness. So when we did our spritz episode, that fateful day. That, that Drea lost. That I lost. That, but we're not competitive at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, that fateful <laughs> day that we went to Total Wine, I bought that bottle of Select, which yes. is an aperitif from Venice, which a typical Venetian spritz is made from. I finally made a spritz with it, yeah. and I just did a little bit of sparkling rosé, select, and grapefruit-flavored sparkling water. Okay. Shit was delicious. Oh, that sounds like, good. Like, all day long. Yeah. All, and select is almost like Was the it perfect... the LaCroix Pomplemousse? <laughs> How did you know? Because she fucking fancy like that. LaCroix, we're available for sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> we're still paying $4.99 for six-pack, bitches, so hook us up. Um... It was, it's almost like a marriage between Aperol and Campari. So we may have to okay. revisit it together. You'll have to share that with me. Okay. When you're at the airport and your flight is delayed, which, listen, if you if you oh tuned into our last episode, you know what's happening with travel this summer. You're it's guaranteed show. to be delayed. So you go to the airport bar. What are you ordering? So, full disclosure, I fucking hate the airport. Oh, me too. I love traveling. I fucking hate an airport. When I was a kid growing up in the Catholic, Catholic church system, I remember we had this one pastor, Father Jim, who was like, God lives everywhere except the DMV, and I would amend that, and the goddamn airport. And the airport, It's yes. a fucking shit show these days. So my go, and it always has been for me, um, but my go-to drink at an airport is bourbon on the rocks. Solid. First- Airport bars are typically bad. So I go with something basic. Like, that's hard to fuck up. You put in ice, you put in bourbon, done. Second, airport. And you know what bourbon you're getting. You can yeah. tell them yeah. which bourbon you want. Exactly. Yeah. And you're going to pay, you know, three times the price. But well, what? Like, you're going to pay three times the price for anything. So might as well make it worth your, like, a bang for your buck. Second, airports fucking suck. So that bourbon's going to help take the edge off. It will. Yep. How about you? What's your go-to? A Greyhound. Nice. Nice, nice. I, I feel like it. a Greyhound is acceptable at any time of the day because it has grapefruit juice in it. And I go with the gin version. So oh. you can do gin or vodka for a Greyhound. Nice, yeah. And I don't, I actually don't drink vodka. So little known fact about Jules, she doesn't really like vodka very much. So. Because it's like 
I just water. don't enjoy it. And a lot of people have a story about vodka like, oh, when I was younger, I got really sick yeah. and it just put me off. It's just, I've never really been a vodka drinker. Uh, so, yeah, Greyhound, grapefruit juice with gin. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to mix that one up. Fair. Yep. So that's a pretty solid. So fashion. I like that we both went with like simple classics. I mean, I would also argue that bourbon on the rocks is an anytime drink, but fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You are at a barbecue. So my kind of go to for like summer grill vibes is a suffering bastard. And that is I've a I've never had a suffering bastard. Oh, have I yet? Maybe I've been to a lot of tiki bars. I probably have had one of these. So I, like, I love a tiki bar. I love a tiki theme. I am a super, like, I go to Tiki Oasis in San Diego. I seek out tiki bars when I travel, like, we tiki nerds. But um, I'm allergic to pineapple. You I know. are? Yes. Uh, it is. For you listeners, my eyes, I just, I literally stopped drinking. <laughs> my eyes got really big and I turned slow motion to look it at Drea. fucked up. It is so sad. It Aww. is my personal tragedy. It does make me sad. It's really sad because I loved it so much. This was a late in life allergy. Oh, yep. that happens. It yeah. sucked. So a suffering Adulting bastard. Adulting is hard, it people. It sucks. Don't do it. It's. A Suffering Bastard is a tiki drink that doesn't include pineapple. So it's made with um, bourbon. A classic one is made with bourbon, gin, lime juice, ginger ale. Holy shit. Yeah. What I do, though, is I swap out the lime juice for grapefruit juice Mm because that's more my preference. And ginger ale, ginger beer, doesn't matter to me. And I add just the slightest bit of agrit. Or a little bit more body in it. And it is legit. So what I love about it is I still get those tiki vibes, but it can stand up to a shit ton of grilled meats. Right? Very important when you're at a barbecue. Very important at the barbecue. How about you? What's your pick? My pick is what I thought was called snake in the grass. What the fuck is that? (laughs) So for years... Uh, there's a, a group of friends here in San Diego that we've been making this thing called snake in the grass. And it's basically... A can of limeade, like okay. Minute Maid limeade. Ooh, okay, like the the like the from from concentrate can. Yes. Oh, all right. Yep. All right. All right. You mix it with some like Coors Light, like a light beer, like a shandy. Mm-hmm. And then you add, <laughs> then you add gin or vodka. Oh well, not like a shandy. Okay. So. <laughs> When I was prepping for this episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, snake in the grass. That's like a solid barbecue. You can make like a big, you know, a big pitcher like of it. Like a Kool-Aid pitcher? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a, or, you know, a freaking uh, ice chest, you know, size thing. <laughs> like a, you know, bathtub of it. Just dip your silver cup in there. Yeah, pretty much. Or your red solo cup. <laughs> She's saying silver cup. I'm saying red solo cup. Hello, I, was, people. I was thinking like old-timey, like That's old-timey funny. Western style. But when I was looking up the, the, the recipe to like refresh my memory, snake in the grass is something completely different and does not sound good. <laughs> like the recipe for, if you look up snake in the grass, it is not what I'm talking about. I call it snake in the grass. It's apparently called summer brew or some shit like that because of the beer aspect of it. But I call it snake in the grass. Huh. Interesting. So it's basically a lemonade 
beer with some gin or vodka. It sounds gross. Like, it sounds disgusting. It does sound disgusting. But it's actually quite delicious. So at in a barbecue. Spain, they drink um, in the summer a lot of uh, clara, which is... Shandy. Yeah, like yeah. a beer and yes. lemonade. Yeah. yeah. And that's... They do shandies in the UK, and that's, you know... This is kind of a riff on that, but then you add the But extra. more boozy. <laughs> yeah. Because we garbage. Gotcha. <laughs> so for our final pairing, you're at a summer wedding, which honestly... Why? I'm in my 40s. I haven't been to a wedding in years. I'm yes. out of wedding season. You were at a wedding right before the pandemic. In Italy. That's, that yeah. was three years ago. Fair. But, okay. I mean... So, yes, years. And I don't, I don't know anyone get married anytime soon, but... Drea wanted this to be one of our pairings. So. Well, I just feel it's like one of those things that you have to do because people get married in the summer. And I'm they always do. like, why? Your face is melting. It's hot <laughs> as fuck. Like, why are you doing this? But I mean, sure, I guess. I guess a lot of the normal. So when your face is melting and you're miserable and and just grumpy, what are you drinking? Oh, first of all, my face is not melting because she's snatched as fuck and knows how to put on makeup. But I am drinking at a summer wedding. A gin martini, up. Keep it seasonal, so I have a lemon twist, ice cold. Classy AF, here for it. Also, it's going to give me my bang for, like, my buck if it is a, ugh, cash God bar. forbid, a fucking cash bar. Who does that? What kind of adult does that? I mean... Open bar. Okay, public <laughs> service fucking announcement, have people. Have an open bar. You... You don't need to have an open bar with, like, all the liquors. Maybe it's just beer and wine. You can be a signature cocktail. A signature cocktail, whatever it is. But do not make people pay for their drinks when they come to your wedding. Especially no. not if people are traveling from out of town. They have to stay in hotels. You know, all that stuff. I just think you have to build that into your, your budget. budget. Invite if, fewer people. If you're not... Um, dry. Right. If you're not, right. like, a, oh, yeah, alco- like, recovering alcoholics. Well, let's just say that. And... Because you know who, you're probably not your podcast are. if you are. Like, <laughs> know who your friends are. Like, if they are booze hounds, like, budget for that. I mean, so both, I had a, so we got married in 2007. We renewed our vows for our tenure in 2017. And honestly, the booze just got better. Like, at our renewal, we of had course. a literal fucking bar cart. Yeah. That, like, went Around the reception was like, what would you like to drink? It was in Spain, so I love it. Of course, that's <laughs> <laughs> the accent. But yeah, I'm drinking a fucking martini. I went to a wedding one time in Rhode Island. This is in my early twenties when I lived in Philadelphia, and it was a cash bar. No, and we all got we, so we all. Traveled I don't like in, anything about the sense. And it was like a tiny town in Rhode Island, so everybody had to like fly in, drive in, get a hotel, all that stuff, right? So we got wind that there was a it was going to be a cash bar. Don't you know, Jules went to the store and bought a whole lot of miniatures yeah, she did. that would fit in her fucking wedding purse. And all she did was go up and buy tonic water, which actually <laughs> I don't even think I had to actually buy the tonic water. I think that was free. And then I would come back to the table and mix my own fucking drink. Because I was in my 20s. I earned no money. I worked in advertising. I was not making any money. Like, this was a big deal. No, yeah, I, I want a couple drinks. So I went to a wedding. I okay. I was was I in my? Tw- I think I was no. I was in my thirties. So I was in my early thirties. But 
Um, She's you know, still in her 30s, by the way. But when you're in graduate school for your entire 20s, it doesn't count. So, so in my early 30s, this was a wedding in Phoenix, Memorial Day weekend. So it's already <sighs> like hotter than Satan's I do hate asshole. holiday weekend weddings. Ugh, I think it's rude. It is rude. Um, <laughs> I was in the wedding and we all wore black. Oh, dear. In Phoenix? And, and, wait. No, there's so much more. It was a morning wedding. Ceremony was as 10 a.m. Pictures. I mean, actually, that's okay. Pictures were at 8 a.m. Oh, that's rough. Bitch was up at 6 a.m. Getting ready. Hair and makeup. Getting her face ready. Getting her face ready so it wouldn't melt the fuck off. And reception was a brunch reception, which actually I'm not opposed to because that's kind of fun. That sounds fun. But it was dry. <gasps> nope. Nope. So, nope. My, one of my dear friends, Ryan, and I spent, well, one, I had a flask in my purse. Like, the purse I carried to the church and then to the reception. And she was drinking at church. To, probably, to be quite honest with you, because this was a long Baptist ceremony. It was very long. Very long. It was very long. So. <laughs> kind of like the Shawinigans right now. We I know. Just, we really went off track. <laughs> I haven't even told you what I'm drinking at my summer wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is my friend Ryan and I going to the bar, getting full-on pints. Bar, meaning just the, the hotel bar. The watering hole. No, oh, the hotel oh, bar. Okay, got it. Getting full-on pints of bourbon on the ice oh and asking the God. bartender to put a little fucking lemon wedge on there so we could pretend it was iced tea <gasps> when the bride's parents saw us. Escandalo. Escandalo. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that is a boss move. Right? Good. You do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are you drinking at a summer wedding? I'm going to be, you're classy as fuck. I'm going to be basic as fuck and Girl. say a sparkling rosé. It is timeless. It though. looks pretty. When you're holding it and you're dressed up. It's good for pictures. It's good for pictures. Everyone it's likes bubbles. Pretty much. Bubbles make everything more fun and happy. And it's a good way to start the night. Or the day. Whatever. Whatever time you're Before you bring is. out your minis. Before the minis of gin come out of my purse. <laughs> Apparently. Well. Jules in her 20s, everybody, on a budget. If those aren't Shawinigans, I don't know what is. <laughs> episode we are mixing it up to close out our summer series and featuring wine cocktails that'll get you through to labor day and, and beyond oh i like that i do because honestly like when don't you want a cocktail you know what i mean it's again timeless like jewels eternal time is what did i say i i don't even remember now well we've time is a, a is i'm a, a flat circle Irrelevant? Irrelevant. No. Yeah. Yeah. Something. There we go. Whatever. I'll have to go back and listen to the very, very smart things that I said earlier in in the episode. We thought we'd get started today with talking a little bit about the history of the wine cocktail and along those lines, cocktails in general. And I'd like to start off by thinking about the way we sort of think of wine cocktails today, which is typically they have a little bit of a bad rap, right? I mean, in the 1980s, we get the sensation of the wine cooler. I liked a wine cooler back in the day. No, what the fuck? I remember being, I remember when, I remember being at my sister's 21st birthday. Oh, God. So I was 16, 
pastel on a bathroom floor somewhere? Nope. We <laughs> had it at our house with my like my parents had a party for her. Like my grandparents swim from Scotland. It was a it was a big fun event. I had aunts and uncles here. And my best friend Megan and I, 16, 17, were drinking wine coolers. Like Bar what is it, Bartle and James? Is that what they're called? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And they were delicious. I just remember there's a B and a J. Oh. Well, you know. But the good kind. <laughs> <laughs> the alcoholic kind. The alcoholic kind. <laughs> Not the kind that'll leave you in the morning. No. So um, wine coolers, as you probably know, are typically made from an unholy alliance of wine, fruit juice, carbonated water, and a fuck ton of added sugars. They gross. Yeah, they are gross. They are absolutely gross. But when I was 16, Jules, 16-year-old Jules, was loving her wine cooler so at, the, so at the older sister's party. So sophisticated. It did feel, it felt, it felt fun. <laughs> but these wine coolers and Jules' past drinking of them should not be <laughs> how we judge all wine cocktails today. Or judge me. Or, or Jules. Well, we can judge her a little bit, I Fine. think. Fair. But the goal today is to dispel the myth of the wine cocktail being like a shitty wine cooler. So in reality, the history of the wine cocktail is nearly as old as the history of wine consumption. Once people started fermenting grapes into wine, they also began to think of ways to make it more palatable. So if you think back to our recent episode on spritzes, for example, we talk about how German soldiers tempered strong Italian wines to make these simple cocktails that turned into a spritz, right? That's a really nice example of how people were manipulating wine with different additives. So other early additives across Europe included things like honey, spices, herbs, and the juices of other fruits, of course. Which is pretty much how it's, you know, really good cocktail is made now. Right. When you think about all these sort of like natural ingredients. Exactly. And things have obviously evolved, and today the basic cocktail to that point consists of three core elements. One, a distilled spirit of some sort. Like Two, a ghost? Spirits. <laughs> Sorry, dad joke. <laughs> this is where we preview our Halloween episode. <laughs> so a distilled spirit. Uh, two, a sugar. So an element that, in that introduces some sort of sugar. Sweetness, yeah. And finally, three, a bitter. Uh, so some bitter element that's going to balance out your cocktail. And while this definition is no longer, you know, kind of the strict rule when it comes to modern mixology, it is easy to see how wine can easily fit into this cocktail formula. Uh, because it's such a versatile drink, as Jules and I can attest to, it can serve as a distilled spirit, for example, in brandy form. It can serve as a sugar in a sparkling form. In fact, you see a lot of early classic cocktails that are made with some sort of sparkling wine. Or it can serve as a bitter in vermouth form. Um, and of course, today, even this rule of thumb has evolved to really think about how to incorporate nice wines into um, a complex cocktail. But time, despite its versatility, wine really didn't appear much in the modern history of mixology. While the United States has sort of been at the helm of the cocktail revolution in the last century, modern cocktails really originated with the British punches in the 18th century. 
So these punches were large bowls of spirits mixed with juices, spices, and herbs. And the term cocktail was even seen in print for the first time in a British newspaper that was printed in March in 1798, alongside a story of a British punch house, which oh, was... punch? Is that like a, an, the first boxing gym? I mean, I probably... Or is it the first speakeasy? Probably eventually, because... <laughs> the, I mean, house. you know the brawls <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. did uh, break out in those places. A punch house was a tavern specifically known for its alcoholic punch and was often frequented by sailors. Oh, so, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, early boxing club. There yes. you have it. Uh, but the term cocktail wasn't really defined as we know it until 1806, when the Balance and Columbian Repository, a publication out of Hudson, New York, defined the cocktail in its modern form as, quote, a stimulating liquor composed of any kind of sugar, water, and bitters, vulgarly called a bittered sling. A bittered sling. A bittered Ooh, sling. Is there a drink called the bittered sling? There should be. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going <laughs> to. Stay tuned. Jules is on the Googles. <laughs> The true art of bartending from this bittered sling moment evolved thanks uh, especially to one particular man. Jerry Thomas, Jerry, a.k.a. Professor Thomas, was a Connecticut-born prolific American bartender who worked all over the United States and Europe and wrote one of the first comprehensive recipe books, The Bartender's Guide, which became a standard study for all aspiring bartenders and is still sold today. So he really revolutionizes the idea of the cocktail, kind of moves it away from these cheap punch houses and really into more of a sophisticated art form. Unfortunately, just as the modern cocktail was really beginning to come into its own in the 1910s and 1920s, prohibition came cruising on in, relegating spirits and innovation to underground speakeasies. And this was a huge blow to the cocktail movement in the United States. Even after Prohibition was repealed, many of the most talented bartenders and those who had been at the forefront of the movement had already found new homes abroad where they were working on their crafts there and where there weren't all the strict rules. It wasn't until World War II and the boom in tourism that followed that cocktail culture was really back on the rise. So let's see. So we had Prohibition... And then when they realized that they could make a ton of money, they brought alcohol back. I know. Isn't that funny? Mm. <laughs> mm. Fucking Americans. <laughs> Early signs of late stage and capitalism. Mm -hmm. There you go. So back to the tourism trend. Sorry. Uh, it's <laughs> the first real kind of cocktail movement that comes out of this period. So now we're talking like 40s is the Polynesian movement. So oh, Pol hell yes. Yeah, right? Give me a good tiki rum drink of my time. Yeah, so Polynesian culture became the new trend, introducing consumers to all the kitsch and diversity of rums that turned into what we now know of as tiki culture. Ernest Ray Beaumont Gantz adopted Don the Beachcomber persona, became this iconic... Hollywood restaurant and Polynesian hotspot that was really known for its cocktails. Alongside um, him was Victor Bourguignon, a.k.a. Trader Vic, 
right? Who opened a self-named company and tiki empire that began in San Francisco in the 1930s. And Northern California is really where that hot spot of tiki outside of like Hawaii and the islands really, really took root. And a lot of it had to do with people who were stationed in the South Pacific kind of going back and forth along those trade routes. At the time, San Francisco had Fort Mason, which was a major hub for the U.S. military. So the demand was there to you know, serve all these cocktails that were inspired by the islands where mm, a lot yeah. of these soldiers had spent a good number of time. Uh, Trader Vicks. And enjoyed a few cocktails, I'm just, sure. Just a few. Just there a is still a Trader Fix in the San Francisco Bay Area today. It's actually in Emeryville, one of my favorite haunts whenever I'm back up in the Bay Area. Uh, and if you want to see a truly unique, classic tiki experience, the tiki bar in the basement of the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco is fucking legendary. Is it? See, I wish I would have known this a few times I've been to San Francisco. Oh, it's phenomenal. So there is, it used to be, before it was a tiki bar, it was a indoor swimming pool. They oh, have kept, one of those places. Yeah, yeah. They have kept the pool. And now there is like a cover band that floats on a barge that goes oh, around. So it's like it. an actual pool, like it's filled with water. Oh yeah, not, like they don't they didn't build the bar in the pool. Nope. And they've got like got this it. band that floats around on the pool, and it's all lush with greens and so shit. So many road trip things we it's, have to do. Oh, uh, it's gonna be delightful. We should do a tiki episode. So eventually, you know, not in my heart certainly, but eventually. Tiki gives way to other different cocktail pursuits. And uh, when we get into like the mid-century period, so 50s, 60s, there's another upswing in cocktail culture, which really encapsulates what I would say are like Mad Men vibes, right? If we think about it today. So classic cocktails like the Manhattan, the Martini, the Whiskey Sour, uh, things like that become very, very popular, straightforward, you know, strong kind of spirit forward cocktails become the the rule rather than the exception. And then, you know, we get into the 60s and 70s and we really veer away from cocktail culture in the United States on a grand scale, which is really interesting to me because it's in that period that we see a huge upswing in the wine industry in the United States. So especially like California wines start getting huge amount of notoriety on a global stage. It's in the seventies when you have that tasting of Paris, uh, episode. And so there's a much more focused concentration, I think on the wine industry and Mm -hmm. on the beer industry versus the the spirit and cocktail industries. So it's not until the nineties that an ambitious group of bartenders based in New York and led by people like, Uh, Dale Dergroff at New York's famous Rainbow Room that we really see a revitalization of classic cocktail culture that somehow manages to bring together these historical values and recipes and new standards and quality back to the craft. And this is then the birth of what we know today as the mixology renaissance and the craft cocktail movement, which is now global in scale and oh so 
delicious. I'm not mad about the cocktails. No, I'm really not. I, I do mean, love I do love a good cocktail. I'm lazy. I'm very lazy, I will say. I do just <laughs> I'll be like I'm just going to open mine. It's just easier than mixing up a cocktail. I do but love a renaissance, too. When so. I do make a cocktail, I'm reminded about why I really like cocktails, especially in the right proportions. So when I was younger, you know, like two years ago, um, <laughs> I would be like, you know, the stronger, the better, right? Like, can you put some more booze in it? Or, or you know, the infamous sort of, is there any booze in this? You know, when you're like out at a oh, restaurant. Oh, one of those. You know, huh? kind of yeah. like, uh, is there even like, any alcohol in this? But I think with the craft cocktail movement, what we've sort of come to understand a little bit better is that the proportions really Balance. matter. Yeah. And like in wine. Yeah, just like wine. But it's like it's not about, okay, let me just add the extra ounce of the tequila or the gin or whatever. 16 ABV you're gonna big throw ass cap. Yeah. You're going to throw off the, what the cocktail is supposed to be. So other than a gin and tonic, which obviously you, you can make it kind of, you know, however you want it. Right, like to your, your taste in, and your preference. You know, to your taste and preference, which mine would be boozy, obviously. Obviously. Um, and I did see something earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, I, I just chuckled to myself, and it was something about, you know, sort of like millennials talking about how um, alcohol is boomer technology. Oh, I saw that meme too. Because they're all, you know, they're all about sort of the psychedelics and, you know, that like the micro dosing yeah. and the edibles. And we're all over here still like, okay, give me a glass of wine. I need <laughs> a cocktail. I need a martini. This is a three, <laughs> three martini lunch. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I love making cocktails. This was something that I always enjoyed like cooking. And then during the pandemic, I just got mm. super into it because as someone who loves going to like a solid bar, Obviously, we couldn't do that for right. a while, so I had to really get very creative at home, and I'm super into it, and it's gotten to the point where now the people in my life sort of expect that service, like they think they're coming to fucking some cocktail bar, yeah. and I had a friend who was staying with us, um, and I was like, okay, what does everyone want to drink? And my parents were over, this was a friend from college, and my friend says, oh, just don't go through all that trouble. Just, like, make something that you can make, like, a picture of or a batch of. Mm -hmm. And immediately, my husband and my parents are like, whoa, whoa, no, whoa, no, whoa, no, 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 no. Like, we have our individual yeah, wants like, and desires. shut the fuck up. We have a good thing going here. Shut up, batch boy. <laughs> don't ruin this for us. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and the thing about cocktails, too, that that can be nice about putting the effort in is that you're not making them all night. Yeah. I mean, sometimes maybe. I mean, I will say during, during the pandemic, we also got into doing a lot of cocktails. And I really got into anything that had fresh lemon juice. So like a Tom Collins, like any, nice. you know, anything like that. Because we have a really great lemon tree that was producing a ton of lemons. I'm like, well, let's just make <laughs> some cocktails. Are, yeah. And right now our lime tree is popping off, so Ooh. lime juice is going to be... There's going to be a lot of margaritas flowing in this house. Okay, so when they find me hiding in their shrubs, they know why. <laughs> you know why. <laughs> Drea's hiding in the citrus. For this episode, we have both designed some wine-based cocktails for your enjoyment to wrap up our summer series. So, Jules, what did you put together for us this episode? I put together a frosé. Love it. Right. Um, inspired by 
our local bar, Fernside, that does these amazing slushies. Which Fernside sure for the win! We've, we've talked about the slushies on, on the podcast before. But to me, you know, summer, sitting outside in the sun or sitting poolside or sitting on the beach, if, you know, the frozen drinks just sound really delicious. And you can batch this up pretty easily. I mean, you can literally make, like, a huge pitcher of it. And if you have, like, a really good cooler, you could, like, throw in a cooler and it's going to be, you know, pretty decent on the go if you need it to be on the go. I also feel like it's not a ton of work for something that looks really impressive. Yes. So if you've company coming over for something and you're serving up a frosé, everyone's like, mm, it's like a little fucking umbrella skewered with a strawberry in there. Yep. Done. Done. And to our point earlier about just sort of the time consuming nature of making cocktails this is not one of those. No. So I was looking for something that's like pretty easy to make. You can make, you know, in larger quantities for a party. Um, so I'm calling this one Strawberry Fields Forever. Uh, partially because of one of the ingredients is strawberries, but also because here in San Diego, just north of us in Carlsbad, there's all these um, pick your own strawberry fields that are really fun to go to. So I have never been. Oh my gosh. I went for the first time during the pandemic. Because oh. I was just looking for fun shit to do outside Sorry, that I yeah. knew wasn't going to be super crowded. Mm-hmm. And they were limiting the number of people that could go in. So I just went by myself, drove up there, and went and picked, you know, a bunch of strawberries. Oh. And they were delicious. Okay. It was super go. fun. So maybe we it. should plan some time to do that. Okay. So Jules's Frosé, Strawberry Fields Forever. The ingredients for this drink are a bottle of rosé. I prefer a a rosé that's on the drier side. Um, Who doesn't? I don't like something super sweet. Um, You'll need a strawberry simple syrup and fresh lemon juice and ice. And then there's probably some variations that you could even add on to that if you wanted to. But the method is pretty straightforward. Um, You'll make a simple syrup by mixing equal parts water and sugar. I like to go a little lighter on the sugar just so it's not super sweet but still, you know, close. Um, And then once the sugar is dissolved in the water, you will remove it from the heat. You're going to add your strawberries and let that sit for about 30 minutes. You do not mash the strawberries. You let them just sort of like infuse the simple syrup. Interesting. Okay. And then you strain the strawberries out. And then you can reuse those strawberries for a jam or something. You could probably, you know, make something, make a little compote or like, don't throw those strawberries away, please. Like keep them and use them for something. Come on some ice cream just as they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, you can keep them and use them as a type of garnish for the frosé like you could just kind of do a little bit of like a mash and put you it in there could muddle them for like a strawberry mojito oh, you could totally do that yep, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're yeah, we are coming up with all kinds of i just don't like the waste so i don't want people to think to throw the strawberries away um so once you have that all set um actually before you do that One method of making uh, frosé is to pour your rosé into a pan and stick it in the freezer for minimum of six hours up to overnight. So always just overnight, just do it the night before and then it's done. Um, And you probably already know this, but it will not freeze because there's alcohol in it. Like alcohol does not freeze all the way. So it's just going to get sort of slushy in nature, which is great. So you'll take your uh, frozen rosé out of the freezer when you're ready to make your frosé. And you're going to add your strawberry simple syrup. You're going to add your um, fresh lemon juice and then more ice. Lemon juice to taste? Like just depending on how citrusy you want it? It kind of depends on, I think, how citrusy you want it. 
And then also, if you go a little lighter on the simple syrup, yeah, fair. and you want to go a little heavier on the lemon, or you want to go lighter on the lemon, a little heavier on the simple syrup, to me, it's there's some proportions, and we can put them in the notes of the podcast. Sounds there's good. proportions that you can, um, you know, use as a guide. So for the bottle of rosé, it's about three and a half ounces of the strawberry syrup and about um, two and a half ounces of the fresh lemon juice. So it's okay. a little bit less lemon, a little bit more syrup. I go a little bit more lemon, less syrup. So, okay. Because yeah. I just don't, as as we've already talked about, I'm not super into really, really sweet stuff. Right. Well, and especially if you're doing, you know, depending on your rosé, too, that you have on yes. hand. If you've got a bone dry rosé, you, know, you may want to keep that in mind in terms of balancing stuff out. Yeah. But if you're, if you have a rosé that, like, someone gifted you or you have leftover, like, this would be a great recipe for, you know, if you have a get-together and someone mm-hmm. brings a ball of, like, Snoop Dogg rosé and you're like, oh, uh, that was I'm really nice, drink that. fuck that. Yeah. Um, do this, add more lemon juice, right? Yeah. It's going to bring that Doctor acid it up, up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and a note on... We love you, Snoop. A note on the simple syrup. Dre and I were talking about this earlier. I don't love sugary stuff in general, but in order to make a frozen drink, you have to have sugar. So you can't skip the simple syrup part. So you definitely want to have the simple syrup in there. If you don't add the simple syrup, you get more of the sort of um, icy, like more chunky rather than frozen blended drink. Which, I mean... It's it just is, fine. It's it going to taste fine. if you need it. It's yeah. going to taste fine. It's just not going to look as pretty. Yeah. So you throw all of that, your rosé, your simple syrup, your lemon juice, your ice in a blender. You'll whiz that up, and then you put it back into the freezer for about 30 minutes. Then you serve it. Pour your slushy into whatever kind of glass you want. Stick a freaking reusable straw in there and... Maybe some garnish, maybe not. It's pretty easy because it's going to look really pretty no matter what. Yeah, off you go. And off you go. <laughs> so there you go. Strawberry Fields Forever, Frosé by Jules. Awesome. It sounds delightful. It tastes delightful. And this is really a quintessential summer cocktail, I think, right? So what would you pair this with? I would pair this with anything that you can picture yourself when you're sitting poolside or if you're, say, at a beach resort that has service where, you know, people are coming out and they have some sort of like cocktail and food service, like the kind of food that you can eat easily sitting by the pool or sitting on the beach. So finger foods, basically. So dry chicken wings. I know that sounds weird, but like a dry rub chicken wing versus like a a barbecue sauce, like messy chicken wing sounds really good to me. Chicken tenders, like, you know, not like chicken McNuggets, but like proper, like good chicken tenders. The um, strips, not the nuggets. Yes, the not strips. the nuggets, the strips, You not want the, the nuggets. rib meat, yo. Yes. <laughs> Truffle fries oh, or just yes. like, um, you know, uh, regular French fries, delicious. Tots. Tots. Uh, I'm even going to throw in some ceviche there because, yep. you know, delicious. You've got the, you've got maybe some jalapeno in the ceviche that'll balance nicely with the strawberries and yeah so really anything that's just easily accessible while you're in a bathing suit while you're in a bathing possibly suit, in a pool drinking a frozen drink i love this for us i love it for us too excellent forever strawberry fields forever now that we've had our delicious frosé 
Drea, what kind of cocktail did you cook up for us this week? So I really felt like I had to redeem myself this time around because when we did our spritz episode, our taste testing group, which involved our spouses and my parents, were solidly team jewels. And I was like, all right, motherfuckers, fine. Be that way. Um, <laughs> Not so, competitive at all. So, oh yeah, neither one of us. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I was like, all right. I'm really going to try and stick to the theme. The problem with the spritz I did was it was decidedly not a brunch cocktail. Yeah. I mean, so sorry. She likes to really like fucking go for it at brunch. But I was like, all right, all right. We're going to stick to the theme. It's summer. It's understand the assignment. I'm trying to understand it. Pretend like you're going to the Met Gala. It's fine. It's fine. So my cocktail is called the Versailles. And my inspiration w- was... Think a lush garden in summertime, opulence, sexiness. But really, I really wanted something that I could put in a coupe. Like, that was my whole goal. I was like, what's going to look good and taste good in a coupe? <laughs> <laughs> I have some fucking fancy coupe. We I have like, to start gonna... somewhere. We do. There has to be yeah. something we're... that you're building something around. Wherever right? so... inspiration strikes, you go for it. We go for it. So the ingredients for this cocktail are delicious rosemary simple syrup and <laughs> look at that simple syrup again. Uh, like Jules, I also tend to use a little less sugar to water ratio. So I do a cup of sugar, one and a half cups water, and two to three sprigs, big sprigs of fresh rosemary. Unlike Jules, though, you want to pop those rosemary sprigs in while you're bringing it up to a boil and the sugar is dissolving. So that's really going to help infuse it with that flavor, that herbal flavor. So bring to a boil in a small uh, saucepan, stir frequently with a whisk. See our Instagram for more hot tips. Strain and cool. And keep it into the fridge for up to 10 days, which is great because this recipe makes a fuck ton of it. So there you go. And I will tell you from experience that I, I've thought, well, it's simple syrup, but it'll last forever. It, it does doesn't. Not. It gets mold. Yeah. It, it, it will create, it will build, it will grow a little bit of mold on the inside. I put mine in like mason jars basically. Me too. And label them in the, in the fridge. And I, I have dumped so much simple syrup because it just, I think like if we, cause you only use a like, little bit. Cure the jar fucking whatever where you like boil the jar. The That's seal for it. jams and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But like I think for a syrup that you want to open and make a cocktail every day. No, I think it'll work for the, like I think the premise you freeze is the it, same. Though. You can freeze it. Anyways, neither anyway. one of us are going to do all that. We digress. So just, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you can cut this recipe in half. Okay, so your rosemary simple syrup, gin. I like a gin that's a bit more on the floral side. So, you know, depending on what you like. But if you're just kind of looking for a basic gin for this, I would say Hendrix is kind of the, the style you want to be in. A rosé wine. I have selected a dry Provence-style rosé. And actually, Jules and I are using the same rosé for our cocktail. So we will post that on our Instagram. And fresh squeeze, squeeze grapefruit juice, pulp strained. You don't want it pulpy as shit. No. Run it through a strainer. I tend to, like, double strain mine. Um, you could also do cheesecloth, whatever works for you. Uh, so here is the method. Get yourself a good cocktail shaker. Or a mason jar. Or, oh yeah, or a mason jar with a lid, sure. I, again, I always have trouble with 
the cocktail shakers, the little, the very top lid coming off always gets stuck. Really? I get so annoyed with cocktail do you, shakers. Do you know the trick? I don't. I learned this at the Pisco Bar in Peru. Of course she did. <laughs> Why just, do I even fucking bother? <laughs> you just tap it lightly on the countertop. Oh, I've tried that. Really? Have you hit Rob in the face? <laughs> I mean, I've... Like, bam! I've, I've done... <laughs> I've, I've tried a lot of things. And I even have your old shaker that I bought on oh. the bat. One of the Bad Madge, the gold, the big gold one. Oh, so... Um, that's a pain in the ass. That's yes. shaker. I'm so sorry. Yep, but it looks good on my bar card. It does. So the ones, that anywho, st- the ones that stick less, I will say, are if you can find one that has a glass bottom and a uh, metal top, like a stainless steel top. Yeah, yeah. those are probably the ones that are going to stick the less. But or just a mason jar is cool as well. That's also fine. Again, though, we digress. So you're going to take your shaker. You're going to combine. Four ounces of still rosé wine. It's really important that you use a still rosé. Not sparkling. Do not use a sparkling for this. If you do decide to use a sparkling for this. Don't shake it. Use a fucking bar spoon and stir it. Do not shake it. One and one half ounces gin. Three quarter ounces grapefruit juice. One tablespoon rosemary simple syrup. Again, that is to my preference. Um, but you, if you like a sweeter cocktail, you can certainly amp that up a little bit. But you do want some though, so the the I would say go down to maybe a teaspoon if you're not a real sugary person. And then you're to to your shaker. You're gonna add one fresh rosemary sprig and ice. Shake until the outside of your shaker begins to frost up. Serve up in a coupe with rosemary or a grapefruit peel as your garnish. I love a garnish. Well, the garnish is the finishing touch. It yeah, kind of just makes it fancy. Makes it look complete. Makes it fancy. I will say that I'm really bad at doing a garnish. Sometimes I'm just like, fuck it. No, like drink fuckers. Drink. I right, hear you go. You're just going to get the fucking drink. Maybe the first cocktail gets a garnish and then every subsequent cocktail is going to get. It's just the cocktail. I don't even want to tell you how many like cocktail picks, how many little umbrellas, how many little garnish bullshit things occupy my house. Oh, I can only imagine. It's a a fucking hot mess. So anyways, that's your recipe. What you're going to get is a ultra light pink cocktail, really in that vein of a light Provence style wine that's almost um, peach, a light peach. And it's a floral but herbaceous, super refreshing drink for your summer entertaining. So in terms of pairing, this would go with a great with a first course of like a grilled shrimp. Uh, I was also telling Jules about this meal I had the last time I was in Barcelona during the summer. I was at this oh, little of course. Of course. I mean Peru, Barcelona. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. <laughs> I'm all going to the neighborhood bar in South Park. That's my inspiration. Well, it's been a hot minute for me as well. But um, I, it's this little fish place in Barceloneta, which is near the beach. And this restaurant happens to get all of their fish from the historic market in Barceloneta every morning. And they bring it out on this cart. You pick what you want and they grill it outdoors. 
and we had this amazing sounds terrible i know it was real it was i, I do this for all of you it was, terrible. It, was, it was such work um we had this beautiful local white fish and we ordered to go with it a simple salad of greens shaved onions with olive oil and lemon juice mm. and salt and it was just perfect this is the type of meal that would go really well with this cocktail on the other hand though Jules and I were talking as I was shaking it up, and this would be an amazing brunch cocktail, yes. too. You know, it's got just enough of that booziness to get you where you want to be at a, a solid brunch. It would pair really well with a quiche and a more savory brunch dish. Really, this just this cocktail is great for getting drunk outside in the it's summer. It's very <laughs> adaptable to multiple different settings. Highly recommend trying this one out. Because it is delicious. And I think I need a refill. And we will absolutely put the recipe notes up on Instagram for both of these cocktails. So make sure you are giving us a follow at Two Girls and a Great Pod. That's T-W-O, Girls and a Great Pod. And while you're at it, share with us your favorite wine cocktails and creations. We are always looking for new things to try out. And we'd love to feature one of your creations on future show we have a couple cocktail series coming up in the fall for our next bottle um we are heading back to school oh shit (laughs) in honor of all the college students just heading back to campus with their mini fridges and their microwaves our next couple of episodes will focus on wines that take us back to our college days so stay tuned Watch that Instagram. I think we'll be having some reels and some lives during our shopping trip. So it's about to get fucking real up. You thought having that dream when you're 40 of like realizing that you missed your final for your stats class was a nightmare. Just wait till we show up. So basically get ready for Dre and Jules to just drink some real shitty wine. (laughs) Actually, no, because Drea went to school in Northern California at Berkeley. Jules went to Go school. Bears! Jules went to school in Illinois. So let's see what we can come up with. You know, you know what? I might be pleasantly surprised. So I think you're gonna tuned. be. I'm on the case. I'm on the case. Stay tuned. And if you try one of the recipes from this episode today, please send us a note. Let us know. Send us some pictures. Uh, we'd love to see how everyone is enjoying these amazing cocktails. Absolutely. And until next time. Salut. Salut. Cheers.